when you're looking at properties to put yourself in the shoes of a shoulder season renter. And we've kind of hinted around this, but the shoulder season is largely when you make your profit. So if you're during the the high season, paying your bills for the year, the profit is going to come in what you can do in the shoulder season and the off season. So really put yourself in the shoes of that shoulder season renter. And by that, I mean, think about it. They have more choice in the way of location and amenities. You found the Real Estate Law Podcast because real estate is more than just pretty pictures and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast. My name is Jason Muth, and we're here with attorney broker Rory Gill. Hello. Hey, Jason. And as you can see, we're not in a normal setting. Uh, we are actually on vacation ourselves, and we are in the same building. We're just uh, on two different floors because we figured that would be a little bit easier to record an episode of the podcast. No, re- no reverb and distortion if we were in the same room, right? Yep, and a little bit more of a relaxed tone from us this week. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like we have our dad shirts on. Like this is like my favorite dad shirt. I, I wear this everywhere. I actually think I got this before I became a dad. Well um, before. And I don't know, Rory, if you think that's a dad shirt, but that's definitely a dad shirt in my mind. It sure is, yes. So this yeah. is a dad setting and a dad shirt, and we're on a family vacation. So this is as yes. bad as it gets. It is. And, you know, we just happened to bring our microphones on vacation in case we had a little bit of time to record uh, a podcast episode or two. And uh, I think we finally found the time where we could record. And, uh, you know, we have a two-year-old and she just requires a lot of attention. If we were trying to record with her, she'd be sitting with us. She'd be watching Coco Melon in the room. <laughs> she'd be making some noise. But, you know, we actually have somebody watching her right now and we have a good uh, a good block of time that we could actually chat a little bit about real estate and real estate law and not be distracted by our uh, lovely two-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, he, so here we are in New Hampshire and we're actually sitting in one of our vacation rentals. Uh, this is the one that we've had the longest. Uh, this is on a lake in New Hampshire and uh, Rory is downstairs in front of one of the fireplaces that we had resurfaced as the very first thing that I said we had to do uh, in this vacation rental because this is one that we turned in from a 90s granny style home into something that kind of resembles uh, what you'd see if you were in the woods. Um, so we got some gorgeous uh, uh, lake stones and lake veneers to put on top of a brick fireplace. And we had a mason do that one and the other one behind us and actually looks for a great setting for uh, a podcast like this. And uh, unfortunately, I have not much behind me. I was able to steal the the Hobby Lobby special boat <laughs> for something behind my shoulder. Um, but, you know, this this exercise in trying to find uh, some settings for our uh, podcast recording actually got me thinking a little bit more. Rory, I- I'm really bad at getting tchotchkes for around the house. Well, it's the way we live at home. We don't like to have lots of tchotchkes at home. So why would we do yeah. our vacation properties? But vacation properties are very different from other kinds of properties. And that's one of the things I wanted to talk about today. 
Well, perfect. Well, yeah, today's topic is about how to evaluate a vacation rental market. We're actually going to do a two-part series on this because we could probably blab on and on and on about it, uh, but we like to break these up into manageable uh, episodes in which you can listen. So, you know, tchotchkes, is, that was not on your list, but, you know, it just, just the exercise, you know, it's not, but just the exercise of getting, uh, walking around the house saying like, oh, what would be good for a good setting? I, I probably could have hung stuff up on this wall, um, but what I just reminded myself of is I need to get some artwork for that wall. Like, it's just a, well, you know what? We moved, we moved the bed. That's what it was. Like we're, we're upstairs in the master bedroom and we just upgraded our bed to a king bed, uh, which is great. So our vacation rental listing doesn't even show the fact that we now have a king bed here. And I would strongly encourage you to get king beds as often as possible in your vacation rentals. But that was actually the wall where we had the queen bed. So I didn't really have a need to put something on that wall, but now, so obviously, you can look forward to our future episode on design tips for vacation rentals. We'll do that in real time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I don't think that I do a terrible job with the design work. It does require a little bit of thought. Uh, but yeah, you know, that, that and that's that's not on our list of things we're going to talk about. But, you know, when people go on vacation, they do want to have an experience that makes them feel like they're in the setting where they're on vacation. We are here in the woods across the street from uh, a gorgeous lake here in New Hampshire. And a lot of the folks that we get at this vacation rental are from the city. They're from New York. They're from Boston. They're from DC. They're from, you know, you name it. They're in town because they just want to get away into the mountains. They're here for a local wedding. You know, there's a multitude of reasons why people uh, book our vacation home. And, you know, er what I love is every window that you look out, you know, I'm looking out windows now. You probably look at them too. All you see are trees. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. you know, so we're in the woods, um, but we're 12 minutes away from Lowe's. So it's perfect. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, so let's talk about how to uh, evaluate a vacation rental market. And, you know, the, the story behind how we evaluated this one, I won't get too deep into it just because, you know, this is one specific market and I'd rather not have the entire episode be about just this one situation. But, you know, Rory, you and I kid all the time. I think it was five years ago at this point that we booked a house down the street that your parents own. You know, so we mm-hmm. stayed there, I believe, Fourth of July weekend, and uh, we we are recording this over an extended Fourth of July weekend here in 2021. And the bed was so uncomfortable, right, that we moved out to the pullout couch, which was a touch better, but it was still pretty bad. Instead of springs in your back, had a bar in your back, so I could live with that. Right. And at the time, uh, we st- our, our dog was still alive. She she passed away last year, but, you know, she had, it was probably overdue for a fingernail trimming. So as she walked around the laminate floor, 4.45, 5 in the morning, because the sun uh, rises uh, from the east and the windows <laughs> faced east. And we would hear that every single, you know, every single morning. Uh, so we had a combination of uh, a dog walking around on laminate flooring and uncomfortable beds. And I think that we said, geez, like we can't do this. This is not vacation. But we happen to see the house that we're sitting in right now on the market uh, down the street. And, you know, we, we got looking at it and, you know, it actually worked out and, and we did some numbers and we said, hey, let's make go out of this. And it's been such an incredible success so far, knock on wood. Uh, and we, we attribute all of that uh, to a really uncomfortable bed that your parents had. So some personal connections and a, a certain circumstance led us to find this particular market. But um, in hindsight, though, we didn't do it with the same level of intentionality. We did go through all the different bullet points in an indirect way that I want to go over for now that, you know, we have stories about this particular market. We have stories about Cape Cod where we have another one. 
but there are, I'm trying to make this applicable to anybody anywhere who's listening. Okay, fine. I get it. Yeah. You want to just move on from, from this place. That's fine. But okay. So let's talk about how to evaluate our vacation rental market. And I'm looking down at my phone a little bit because you sent me some notes, but you know, number one on your list, Rory is really the most basic one, which is an obvious point. Research the state and the local and any HOA restrictions that might be applicable to where you're looking. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I think this point is just so obvious. I kind of want to get it out of the way up front because anybody who's really doing any sort of serious look into short-term rental uh, investing should understand that there are a lot of different restrictions out there. So you need to take a moment to really research the state uh, restrictions, the local restrictions, and then also any particular HOA or condo restrictions that would get in the way or limit your ability to do um, short-term rentals. And beyond that, take a look and see where the politics are going. Are there, um, is a town discussing any particular proposed um, rules? All of these things are going to really limit you know, whether you can do it in the first place or whether you're going to be limited to how you do it. So you know, this should be pretty obvious. Do the research here. Know any restrictions that would ban it um, altogether. If there are minimum stay requirements, if they limit the number of times that you can do it each year, all things can get in the way. And there's some other smaller restrictions. Maybe the HOI bans guests from bringing pets. So you would actually have a rental that's not pet friendly, um, whether you choose to or not. So understand the restrictions. Take the time to look into them. Um, If you get under contract and find out that you can't do your your plan here, you're going to be uh, in a really tough spot. And then lastly, know what the taxes are. I'm not one to say you shouldn't do something just because it's taxed, but you need to build those numbers into into your plan. Um, And taxes tend to go up um, in this front with the primary driver being trying to equalize hotel tax and short-term rental tax. Mm -hmm. So when we purchased this place in 2016, New Hampshire had like a nine or nine, nine and a quarter percent tax, nine and a half percent tax, whatever it is. And that's what hotels, lodging, occupancy tax. And we charge it. We have to charge it. We have a license actually that allows us to operate this. And we're fortunate that the platforms on which we post, one of them, Airbnb in New Hampshire, they actually remit on our behalf. And then Verbo does not in New Hampshire. So Verbo uh, will, they will actually just remit the, or pay the money to me. Right. So mm-hmm. if you, you know, there's a rental for a thousand bucks or something, there's going to be $92 on top of that or whatever the math is uh, for taxes. And then we're responsible for sending that in uh, every single month, plus any kind of direct bookings that we get that don't go through the platforms. We either have to charge it or it's going to have to come out of come out of our, uh, our, our booking fees. But one thing that we, we, you know, we're learning a lot along the way, and I'm sure a lot of people that are listening to this, uh, who are thinking about short-term rentals also will learn along the way. The first year, I think what we did was we actually, we, I don't know if we charged it up front and then we just took it out of what we took in, but I realized that that was silly. And I thought that renters would pay it even if they saw a separate line item, or maybe the, the platform was a little bit separate. But we the second year, we didn't change our rates. In fact, we increased them, and then we added taxes on top of that instead of it coming out of what we were taking in on the gross, and people continued paying it. Every year has been successful, um, successively better than the previous one so far here. 
So in our limited experience, the um, booking, the lodging tax that has been charged by the state hasn't really been an impediment at all to getting the bookings. In fact, the biggest test the first year we had it in Massachusetts, there was no um, Airbnb tax. And then the next year, they came out swinging with a pretty high tax of around 17% when all is said and done on Cape Cod. And when that was tacked to the bill, perhaps we weren't charging enough in the first place, but um, that did not deter any rentals. So when I say, you know, don't pick or choose market it's based on tax, um, but just plan for it in your numbers. Yeah. You know, I think that people were concerned that adding that 14 and a half percent or a quarter percent tax on top of, you know, already expensive booking rates in a town on Cape Cod, uh, it's Provincetown where we have a place, uh, was going to deter people, but really they, you know, the renters have to pony up because the air, the, the B&Bs and the hotels in town are charging it. And it's really a condition upon choosing to go there. So people could choose to spend their money elsewhere. But if they mm-hmm. want to spend time in that town and rent lodging, uh, the renters are going to be responsible for the taxes. In fact, I don't think any, I mean, I'm sure there are some, but I'd be surprised if operators of lodging were going to absorb a near 15% tax in the rates they were charging. It's one thing if uh, it was a, a less popular or declining in popularity destination. Uh, and last year uh, in 2020, you know, COVID restrictions, we're not out of it yet, but last year it was really, really cracked down. Um, so, you know, we adjusted our rates. People were adjusting their rates. They were taking deals however possible left and right. But, you know, we were still obviously charging the tax because um, as per our license, Commonwealth of Massachusetts, we have to. And one of the good things with Airbnb and Verbo in mass is both those platforms remit on our behalf. So I never see the money that is charged for taxes that I then have to remit. The only remission that we have to do, if that's the correct word, am I using the right word? Is that that right? is correct. Yep, the remittance. Okay. Yep, <laughs> remittance. I, remission. That's that's what happens. You know, when you conquer cancer, remittance. <laughs> so the remittance that we did uh, is is with the direct bookings. You know, so if we have anyone that books with us ourselves, you know, we're going to have to. Uh, declare that money and then and then pay a tax to Massachusetts for that. So yeah, so we talked a lot about taxes there, but you know, think about the rest. Uh, you know, HOA restrictions. Uh, that you put that into you know the most obvious as as point number one. Um, you were researching a property for a friend of yours who might be looking for a place in Provincetown, for example. And what did you uncover uh, regarding some of the restrictions for that specific association? So um, that one had both a um, frequency and duration requirement. So the minimum rental period was 30 days, and you could only rent it out up to three times a year. So in theory, you could rent it out all to the summer, but fairly longer-term tenants that you you could rent it out to. Um, So the common weekly rentals, which are the most profitable in that market, were forbidden. And Later on, you hear that I have a, I care very much about the shoulder season. So having the weekenders come in the shoulder season would be out of the question. So that property um, would not be a good um, candidate for a short-term rental. And as a result, the property values of the building are noticeably lower as a result Mm -hmm. of that particular, as a result of that particular restriction. Right. And, you know, another thing you might want to consider is is thinking about these vacation markets already, you know, versus some of the urban markets uh, where they're still working out the rules. You know, they're not used to having short term rentals in a lot of cities or in a lot of suburbs that aren't really vacation destinations. Uh, you know, just a suburb just outside of Boston or just outside New York City that is 
tree-lined and quiet and has great public schools. They're not used to somebody just buying a place and starting to do vacation rentals. So they might not have the rules written just yet. And, you know, these rules do evolve. But, you know, in thinking about a market and, and evaluating a vacation rental market, you know, you might want to take a look at the markets that already are used to getting vacationers. Because if you do that, then they already have rules written. Like it's part of the DNA of those markets. If you're talking about a mountain town, a ski resort, an island town, uh, somewhere along the coast, uh, people are buying these second homes or investment properties with the intention to rent them out. So the, the rules in my, I'm guessing, I don't know every rule, but the rules are probably a little more favorable than a town that is just not used to having short-term rentals. Sure. I mean, the, and it also depends on the, the town's um, housing shortage. So the most extreme example I can think of is, you know, Boston, where pretty much non, non-owner occupied short-term rentals are banned. Um, then they look to a more hybrid market like Salem, where they do they are used to having an influx of tourists without having an, um, enough of hotel capacity. Um, mm-hmm. But that city banned short-term rentals in areas that were zoned for single families. So in that in that community, you're taking a look at what your zoning is for your particular residents. Um, and there are all different shades and variations of this. And there's there's not a lot of consistency right now. You really need to take a look at your your local um, restrictions. But you're right, communities where short-term rentals have traditionally been um, part of the lifeblood of the economy, even before the platforms like Verbo and Airbnb. Those are the ones that are less likely to put a draconian restriction on it. Right. Now, from a legal perspective, you know, questions have come up in your career related to this and not to say that you have to talk about, you know, a legal case that happened many years ago because things have changed since then. But what do you, what, what should people do? Um, if they are looking at a market? Like, should they reach out to a local attorney? Should they find someone that specializes in short-term rentals? Uh, Should they just use their real estate agent and trust what they have to say? Should they use the attorney that's going to close that deal? Like, what should a buyer do? Almost all of the above. Um, They're you want to get as much professional advice as you can in the process um, from your real estate agent. Um, certainly you want to use, talk to your attorney about that because that's going to be a critical requirement and don't leave it just up to the professionals. Do some research on your own. You know, each, each profession works a little bit differently. Um, a real estate agent's going to go on kind of what's known what their representations are and a base level of the documents. The attorney's going to look at the the deed records and what's um, perhaps on record with the ordinances, but they may miss things such as upcoming proposed ordinances. Um, so it's up to you to really do the research um, on your own, um, but lean in and get the professional advice too. Right. Okay. So, you know, research the state, the local, uh, the HOA restrictions, talk to lots of people, talk to as many people as you listen to, research online, research on bigger pockets if you can. I mean, I'm, I'm on that website multiple times a week, as a lot of listeners are to this, uh, to this podcast. And there is so much chatter and discussion these days about short-term rentals. Maybe it's because I've noticed it because I added it as a keyword, which if you don't know on bigger pockets, you could throw keywords into there and then get notifications when people talk about those keywords. But I put Airbnb and STRs as keyword notifications, and I'm just flooded with conversations about it. So I think a lot of people are considering this as a as a real estate investment as a good asset class, which is great. Another place to look, though, also is the Airbnb community forums on the Airbnb site. It's a biased forum, um, and it's 
largely unmoderated, but a lot of the content I've seen on there has actually been relatively good. So if somebody's looking in your particular market, um, don't rely on it, but add that to one of the sources that you take a look at, um, the Airbnb community forums. Excellent advice. I actually haven't done that, so I'm going to have to bookmark that as well. You haven't mentioned my, my pink microphone yet. Rory, I'm a little disappointed about that. But that's it's the most festive thing in that shot, aside from your shirt. <laughs> my shirt, my dad's shirt. This is great. Yeah, so I, I'm. If, if you're listening to this and not watching it, uh, I brought some microphone covers and and I decided to jazz it up and move away from black. And now I have a pink one and a yellow one and a red one, and I chose pink for this one. Okay, let's move on. So the second thing on evaluating a vacation market rental, uh, if you are in the market looking for places, is avoiding extreme seasonality. Tell us about that, Rory. So if you look into vacation rental markets, a lot of them are going to have some element of seasonality. If you have a house on the beach, your high season is the summer. If you have a ski lodge, the high season is the winter. Um, but my tip of advice here is to avoid properties where you only really have one operating season. Um, a lot of things can go wrong with it, and you're missing a lot of the opportunity to to really grow and make profit. So if you're contained to 12 weeks in the summertime um, and you have bad weather or if an unforeseeable pandemic, for example, comes and hits right in the middle of your high season, you're going to have a very difficult time recovering and um, supporting the property for the year um, and it'll wipe out your your property. Plus, it limits the amount of creativity and the versatility you can show in preparing the property for, for different seasons. But, you know, I'm not saying avoid any and all seasonality. If you have a ski lodge, understand what are the activities, what's the draw um, in the spring, summer, and fall. And you'll most likely find some uh, reason why there are people coming in, in those seasons. But if you can't find any, that's a red flag that this may not be the most versatile short-term rental. You know, the, the time people are on vacation is usually when they start looking at real estate. Um, I, I think everybody does it wherever they happen to go. If you own your primary home, you're probably looking at other real estate when you go on vacation. If you're going to Hilton Head, if you're going to the Cape, if you're going to Palm Springs, wherever you travel, people are curious, right? They'll, they'll, they'll grab their Trulia app. They'll take a look at the free newspaper at the grocery store. Uh, they'll, you know, scan around realtor.com or Zillow, whatever. And they'll, they'll start thinking, what if, right? Like, oh, it'd be great to like, own here. I mean, like we've been out to Hawaii. Uh, I've been out there a bunch of times. Uh, you came actually four years ago, we were out in Hawaii, right? You know, mm -hmm. around this time of year. Um, and I would love to live, you know, own something in Kauai. Um, maybe someday, uh, there's a lot of rentals out there. You know, it's very rental friendly because people vacation there all the time, but you know, when you're there, you think, think, think about it. And then you come home and, you know, life gets in the way again, or you start worrying about work or school. So, you know, that was just more of a pipe dream then. Um, but, you know, think about the times that you're on vacation. Like that is the time when you're going to make the most money. But in my opinion, it's not where you make a lot of the profit. Okay. Yep. Eventually as time goes on, real estate tends to go up in, in value. And, you know, we'll probably look 10 years later at something that you bought 10, 15 years ago and say, whoa, what a great deal. But you should be able to cover your uh, full expenses, everything, your mortgage, your taxes, your interest, uh, even your utilities in my mind, everything. Like you should be able to cover that with your high season. And the shoulder season is usually where you make your profit. And then as you spread that across all 12 months of the year, you can figure out what your cash flow is. And you just have to be good, you know, with managing your cash as it comes in throughout the year. Like after a summer in a vacation rental destination that is very summer friendly, you should be flush with cash. 
but you need to reserve that money for the winter when it might be a little more lean. Now, the good markets are the ones that you can carry throughout the year or nine, 10 months around the year. You know, like New England, for example, uh, we'll talk once again about New Hampshire. So in the summertime, it's great. People want to get away. You're in the woods, you're in the lake. There's a lot of recreation. There's great places to eat. You're not too far from the seacoast, at least here. You can go up to the White Mountains. You have a lot going on up there. Uh, you can go somewhere like York, Maine, you know, gorgeous town right there on the ocean. Uh, I'm sure all the places are packed all summer long. The question is, what about the fall? New Hampshire happens to be a good fall market because of leaf leaf peepers, weddings, uh, people just looking to get away when the weather is probably still good in September. Uh, and then October, November carries into apple season, leaf peeping season, and the holidays. You know, the mud season, as we call it, February, March, you know, it's not as busy. This year happened to be super busy for us, which is great because if you can get even the worst seasons kicking for you, then you're going to have a great year. I'll take a couple extreme examples. So if you look at um, Fry Island in Maine, it's a it's a small community inside Lake Sebago, and it's as an official population of zero because nobody can live there year round. In fact, they close. Um, at a certain point in the early fall, and they don't reopen again for the summer. So if you had a rental um, home there, it may be lovely and wonderful, but you are really boxed in into terms of what you can do. Even if you wanted to, you couldn't come up with um, a, a plan for the winter time. So you are limited to, to that time period and that time period only. And it's going to create a pretty hard ceiling for you in your business plan. Put contrast to the market in Provincetown where yes, it's a summer destination. That is the height of the season. You'll make the bulk of your money in the summertime, but the community um, is doing a really good job extending that into the shoulder season with lots of activities in September and October, even into December. And before the pandemic, they had started running the ferry on weekends into December. They expanded the season outward um, into that season. Yes, it has a quiet season, but now think about that as a property owner. You have a lot more creativity and things that you can do to bring people there year round. Um, so Take a look at that. So avoid the extreme seasonality. Seasonality is part of vacation rentals. You may have a couple months a year where it's completely dead, um, but avoid just an extreme limited um, season. Right. Dovetails right into, you know, your your third idea for when you're evaluating the uh, the uh, potential of a vacation market, which is that shoulder season. And, mm -hmm. you know, people do, they're not really thinking about the months that they might not normally go on vacation, but those are just so critical. As you just mentioned, uh, that is really where you can make some money on a place. And I'll even say, you know, it surprised us around here that how many bookings we were able to get throughout the year. And strategically, what you're going to want to do as you're taking a look at your property is you're going to want to adjust your pricing. You're going to want to adjust your uh, requirements. So you might want to have a two or three day minimum in the off season or the shoulder season. Uh, and you might want to adjust your pricing downward a little bit if you're really looking to maximize your yield uh, and the number of days in which your place is occupied. Uh, you also might want to think about converting some of those off-season months into some longer-term rentals. And I'm not saying like a 12-month rental, but you know we get requests all the time about people that are looking for a furnished place. And I will say most of those places, most of those requests aren't going to work out because it's just someone that's looking for a typical long-term rental for like two or three months, and they're not looking to pay the short-term rental rates, which 
could be extremely uh, much more expensive. You know, that's really why people are getting into the short-term rentals. If you're going to rent a place in a vacation market uh, to somebody for 12 months, maybe you're going to rent it for $2,000. Just throwing a number out there, right? But think about the most extreme uh, months that the demand is the highest. If it's the summer months, that same place on a weekly basis could go for more than $2,000. You know, so you have 11 or 12 weeks right there where maybe you're getting four or five, $6,000. You can't rent it to somebody for 12 months. Like it just, the numbers don't work out. And uh, you know, as as a property owner, uh, it's if you're looking to maximize the amount of money you're going to make, it, it just doesn't make financial sense to do that. However, in the off season, um, you know, we found our way into some rentals. Uh, it does make sense. You know, we had a neighbor here who was pregnant, and her parents were going to come help uh, with the baby after it was born, and they're looking for a place for a couple months. It happened to coincide with the off season. Um, we actually had one booking that was during that entire block. And uh, the booking ended up canceling. And then I reached out to her and said, hey, listen, I got a couple months for you if you want it. Mm-hmm. We worked out a, a rate where basically uh, it covered my costs, maybe a little bit more. Uh, we were fair because we were neighbors also and, and we know them and wanted, wanted their mom uh, and their parents to be comfortable when they were here. Uh, and I think it worked out well for everybody. After the couple months were over, they were you know very thankful that they were able to stay here, spend some time with their newborn for a couple months. Um, I was grateful that I was able to get a lot of my expenses covered and it worked out. You know, sometimes you'll find your way into those kind of situations. You should always keep your ears open if people are going to reach out to you directly uh, because they might be neighbors that live there year round or they might know somebody. I would say those are more rare, but it has come up a couple of times. I had some people uh, that looked at this place uh, and they were looking to get away at the very beginning of the pandemic and just needed somewhere to escape uh, from New York City. And if you remember, we rented to to people for a month uh, in like two week increments. So they came for two weeks and then they were able to extend because, uh, you know, work was still closed, but that kind of stuff happens. And then kind of the, just the, the last point tip I want to give, um, in this episode before we break is, um, when you're looking at properties to put yourself in the shoes of a shoulder season renter. Um, and we've kind of hinted around this, but the shoulder season is largely when you make your profit. So if you're during the, the high season, um, paying your bills for the year, the profit is going to come in what you can do um, in the shoulder season and the off season. So really put yourself in the shoes of that, uh, that shoulder season renter. Um, and by that, I mean, think about it. They have more um, choice in the way of um, location um, and amenities. So if in that shoulder season, you, you're that buyer, where would you want to stay? Uh, and is the place you're looking at or considering making a vacation rental, it doesn't meet that criteria. So, you know, in the summertime, you may, in a high season summertime, people may be more willing to rent a property a little bit farther from town or the central attraction and walk. But if you don't have to concede that in the shoulder season, you're not going to. So avoid the properties that are going to be farther out um, in that situation because they're going to be less desirable. And depending on where you are, it may not be a location factor, how close you are to the central attraction, but it might be the amenities. Is there a reason why somebody's going to offer your property when they have choice? Um, you don't want to be sitting um, empty during the shoulder season. That's where your profit is largely going to come from. So do, will that person who has the choice, will they want to rent your place? And that's where property goes from being a cash cow to a stinker. Mm-hmm. Not a stinker, but 
I was just trying to think of something clever. All right, great. Well, let's let's take a little pause right there uh, because we are going to break this up into a couple different episodes. So, you know, thanks so much for listening uh, this week to the Real Estate Law Podcast. We've been talking about uh, how to evaluate a vacation rental market with attorney broker Rory Gill from Next Home Title Town Real Estate. Uh, Rory, remind everybody where everyone can find you if they want to reach out to you. They can find me personally at urbanvillagelegal.com, or you can also find myself and my real estate team at nexthometitletown.com. And uh, if you're listening to this uh, as a podcast, thank you for listening. Hopefully you'll subscribe and give us a great review on the Apple. Is it, I don't even know it's called the iTunes store anymore, but if you're on Apple or Google, uh, give us a great review there. We really appreciate that. If you're listening to this on YouTube, you can give us a thumbs up. You can subscribe so you're always notified when there's new episodes that come out. Um, and if you uh, want to be a guest on this podcast. Uh, we are going to start introducing guests on the podcast. Uh, I know that we said that in the past couple episodes, but we're uh, still working toward recording a number of episodes with guests. We would love to hear from you. It doesn't have to be about short-term rentals, but it should be something real estate related or legal related. Uh, so drop us a line. Uh, we're going to actually have a, a, a form uh, in which you can fill out uh, shortly, but you could email Rory uh, at um, Rory at nexthometitletown.com or uh, the address he gave earlier, or you could reach me at Jason at nexthometitletown.com and we'll get that set up. So, yeah, But we're looking for anybody with an interesting perspective on real estate investing or just the real estate industry. Excellent. All right, great. Well, Rory, thanks once again. You know, stay tuned for part two of this episode of the Real Estate Law Podcast, talking all about how to evaluate a uh, vacation rental market. Till then, right. thank you. Bye. Thank you. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Title Town. Greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts real estate council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.